Welcome everyone and thanks for joining me. My name's Tristan and this is the Car Audio Education Podcast. On this show, you'll get to hear valuable insights from a range of industry guests as well as learn about what it takes to design, fabricate and tune high quality audio systems. There's always a bit of a delay with the live chat too, guys. So if we don't get to it straight away, it's because it takes a bit to come through. (laughs) Sound processes. What have we got there? Do they actually make that much of a difference compared to just hooking up the amp to the head unit? Uh, Definitely. They sure do. Uh, Again, it depends on your system, but even a factory system will benefit from a DSP. If you've just put a basic radio in that just has, say, mid... Uh, bass and treble and that's all you've got to adjust that's never going to be enough to tune the system to how you want it to sound certain dsps will give you all the way up to 31 bands of a graphic eq meaning you can adjust 31 different points of sound on each channel other ones are parametric so if there's a little dip or a peak somewhere where you can't quite get with the graphic eq you can use a parametric to shift that point anywhere you need on that 2020 frequency range So in short, definitely worth a DSP. That's probably one of the first pieces of equipment you'd want to add to your system. Mm -hmm. Although we are seeing that now with newer head units, they're getting a lot better with their inbuilt DSPs as such. Alpine's new ILX range with 509 and F11 and even the, uh, what's called the, uh, Brian, which one is it? The seven inch? But essentially how you can actually now finally control each channel individually with its EQ and it's got, uh, it's up to 56 bands of EQ adjustment through the Alpine range, which is pretty amazing. And not to mention Sony's new 9500 ES with its inbuilt DSP. It's pretty amazing. They certainly ILX come 507. Up. Thank you, Brian. Just going back up. Questions are smashing through in at the moment. What have we got? Sean, you're saying you've got voltage drop at idle from 14.2 down to 12.8. What's the rest of your system? What are you running? And while you're answering that, uh, Rab Blair, you've got, does different RCA voltages from head units make a difference? Uh, yeah, they do. It depends on the vehicle that it's into. So the higher the RCA voltage coming from the output of the radio, it means that there's less chance of interference or EMF going into that signal before it gets to the amplifier. So if you've got a really low signal, say one volt from an older radio or a cheap unit, there is a higher chance of all the car's computers are on an old vehicle. If you have electronic ignition, like an MSD, those are really prone to emitting interference, interference really bad. So the higher your input voltage to an amplifier or processor, the better. Now, with that said, make sure whatever processor or amplifier you're running that voltage into can handle it. Not everything can take a really high voltage. Some amplifiers on the market can only handle four or five volts RCA input and some processes on the market or line out converters, especially from wave tech and audio control can output up to 20, even 40 volts. If you you never need it that high, but they can. So make sure the input voltage of your amp or DSP are matched. That's the main thing. No, I don't think we can hear you, Brian. We can see your chat, but we can't hear you. Sean's got dual kicker comp R's running off a CXA 1201. Okay. Well, with that, 
for that sort of power, just make sure you've got a big enough power input. Your grounds are really solid too. That's the main one. Heaps of people just are quick to throw zero gauge at an amplifier, but they always forget about the grounds. Power in a car. Always helps to do the big three. What was that, Mitch? Always helps to do the big three. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So powers, grounds, and that's ground from battery to chassis, engine to chassis. Make sure all of those are solid and to bare metal. If you're not sure, get a multimeter and check as well. If you need help with that, message the page and we can run you through that. You went big four. Yeah, yellow top's definitely a great power source. Mitch, you want to answer that one from Dale with the Alpine CDE, CDE 205? Uh, I'm not super that that now. Yeah, so the CDE 205DAB, obviously, uh, being a single DIN, you can, uh, what's called, have front, rear, and sub uh, uh, power onto it, so that's fine. You can control, obviously, all of the base outputs, uh, crossover units, and everything through the unit. Um, the only problem is, is, I guess, it's not as easy to navigate through because you're going through a volume knob. Uh, you find that it's just going to be a little bit easier being on a, either a touchscreen or a double din, but you just got to have a bit of patience and you can definitely get it sounding really good. Just play around with feature frequency manually when you're doing your EQ. Right, Josh has asked, which one should I choose, a Brax cap with 1.5 farad or a voltage regulator 100 amp? Uh, the voltage regulator is only going to help you if you've got a smart alternator and it's dropping voltage. The cap's going to help regardless. Um, what else are you running, Josh? Josh, are you thinking of putting that on your entire system or are you running that off a particular amplifier to smooth the power delivery? Normally, we recommend running that off your largest power amplifier, so your monoblock. Um, otherwise, if you've got a high-end four-channel or two-channel amplifier, most of those amps have a capacitor input as well just to help smooth the power delivery. Because as you know, in cars, it's jumping between 12.6 and 14.6 depending on your voltage coming from the alternator. So going back to Brian's question, where we see the future of car audio. Tristan, what do you think? Do you reckon it's all going to be DSPs and integration because nearly we're getting to a point where base kits aren't going to be made for newer cars because the entire dashboard is going to be a big giant tablet soon. 100%. So it's all going to be about integration. Yep, and the market's heavily leading towards EVs. We've seen that for a long time now, and that's where we're going. So if you guys out there, especially your installers that are watching, if you're not quite sure how to integrate into EV cars or how to use DSPs or the up-and-coming new products from Maestro are actually really, really incredible, they're really leading the way now. It's gone are the days of just chucking a head unit in a car and throwing an amplifier in and calling it a day, or even just putting replacement speakers in now is not going to cut it because the factory unit's got, it's all equalized, it's got time alignment, you've got phase issues, all pass filters, you can't just go replacing stuff nowadays. You really have to diagnose the car that you're working on. We're even finding in base model Toyotas, the new ones coming through, are running like JBL systems that are fully amplified, or at least in the head unit, they've got some sort of processing. So they're either actively EQ'd, they've got time alignment built in. So when we're adding stuff after that, we need to flatten that signal out. And there's not too many products on the market now that can deal with this. It's getting rather yes, complicated. Yes, there will always be base additions. Yes, we stand by that. But obviously it's all going to be a bit more slimline because people don't want to lose boot space. It's that easy. I, 
I don't, I can't think of a single customer I've had in the last month where essentially they've said they want to fill their entire boot. They want as small as possible and as compact as possible. That's right. Glad you're liking that sub, Brendan. Yeah, that new amp on it will definitely drive it. So just make sure wherever you've grounded that, it's a solid ground and check your battery to chassis ground too. Because if it's on the stock one that came with the car, it won't be big enough. Is that the Audison Prima 10? Yeah. Yeah, no, we're, we're about to do an upcoming build on a 79 series with that um, from the guys at ASV and Cairns, CSM Vision, that made the subwoofer box and everything, integrating that with a full Alpine system going through it. It's, it's going to sound amazing, actually. We're looking forward for that one. Yeah. Four days. Keen to hear that one. Yeah, yeah, it'll be good. Nice. And just going back to Josh there, he's got currently I'm running four Genesis amps, dual mono and two dual mono extremes and another mono block. All right, so they're class AB amps. So even at idle, they're gonna be drawing current just because of how they're designed. So if you're still running a single battery on that setup, I'd definitely be running another battery and a cap on your big mono, at least, because you'll be pulling some serious current at high volume with that setup. Easiest way to tell is add up all the fusing that you've got on those amplifiers so just say your four channel is probably going to be drawing about 60 amps there, or sorry, dual mono, probably 60 amps, depending on how big it is. Your mono block's probably at least 100. So just on those two amps there, you've got 160 amps of current draw. Depending on how far away your amps are from the battery too, you've got to factor in voltage drop, especially at that amount of current. So you'd be wanting at least zero gauge of pure copper running to those and another battery because at idle at 12.6 volts, yeah, you'll be pulling... 140s. Johnny's got, do you always have to put new wiring from the amp to speakers or does the car's original wiring usually suffice? If it's RMS dependable, please give a range as well. Well, for me, Johnny, if it's a new car and you've got no issues with the wiring, meaning like when you're opening and closing the doors, you don't have speakers cutting in and out, anything up to probably, I usually say about 100 RMS your factory wires are gonna be fine for because we're running voltage through this. We're not running current. So we're not trying to pull 50 amps through three mil cable. So your factory gear is fine. It's pure copper in the most case. Um, Toyotas now are actually going to full aluminum wiring throughout the vehicle. It's a cost cutting thing and we're seeing it in more and more cars and it's really hard to integrate into. So if you've got the aluminum ship wiring, I would upgrade it 100%. If it's still copper, keep it until you're hitting about 90 to 100 RMS, then change it out. What's your opinion on that, Mitch? About uh, changing wiring or keep making sure that your gears all, all up to scratch from factory, do you mean? Uh, is it changing the wiring. Like you said, up to 100, 100 watts RMS is when you probably notice a huge difference, but it really comes down to one, what you're trying to achieve, your budget and if you want to get the, the most out of it, always uh, change all your wiring, especially if you're doing an amplifier um, swap and everything. But the only thing I find is you got to make sure it's also shielded as well. Don't just go out and buy some speaker wires, 16 gauge off the shelf, because it may be worse than what you already had. Yeah, make sure it's OFC stuff, guys. There's too many of those CCA wires just turned to dust after a couple of years. They're horrible. We see it all the time. We get vehicles come in that have had a system done with cheap wiring. It doesn't matter who did it. It just, if it's got poor quality wiring in it, 
with our environment, especially with an older car, you're getting moisture and water down back inside the door cards. Yeah. And if it gets near those wires, they're just like wicks. Sucks the water up. You'll be dropping speakers left, right and center and you, you've got to replace it all anyway. So do it right from the beginning. Spend a little bit extra. I know copper right now is more expensive than it's ever been. It sucks, especially when you're running like four gauge, zero gauge or double zero. You're paying through the ass for it. But do it once. Do it right. Your gear's going to last as well. Mm -hmm. And just note, guys, when you look on the shelves, you will see a bunch of different brands where they say, you know, uh, uh, pure copper or not. You've really got to play into that and also how, how much shielding is actually on the cable. If you've got more core inside it, the better. Uh, I have a Rockford Fosgate, Stinger, Kicker, do excellent wiring kits. There are some on the market that are more uh, budget focus that you might want to stay away from if you're trying to achieve an, a, you know, an amazing system. That's right. Because your power is always going to be your biggest weak point. If you're trying to put big amplifiers, big subs, and you're going a little tiny eight gauge, you know, what's going to happen is just going to die out onto you, then cut out and you're going to come back to us going, well, why did it just cut off after, you know, a 15 volume on, on the head unit? It was like, well, you didn't really, you know, lay out every, uh, what's good. Oh. Thoughts on the kicker comp? Ah, uh, they're a great sounding subwoofer. They're really good value for money, especially the ported enclosures. Like if you don't have a large amplifier, then you can't drive a big subwoofer in a sealed box. It's just not efficient enough. So kicker makes some really nice products that don't need big power to get loud. Like even their kick packs that they sell with a little two channel that bridges to a hundred RMS. You can still get some pretty serious base out of those for the budget systems. It's they're great gear. Yeah. Decent brands for speaker wide, depending on your area, Stinger, Kicker, um, Rock and Fosgate, if they still import it to Australia, but yeah, Stinger or Pre Kicker these days. Air Pro, Air Pro um, Maxi Core can be okay. It just depends what you see. But yeah, Brian, exactly right. You see a lot more SQ systems these days than you see, you know, big doof doof. Yeah, definitely. And we're seeing the, the trend to more stealth as well. Like most people still want a really good sound system, but they don't want to see anything anymore or they want 100% access to their boot. Or if they're still running a spare tire, they still want access to that. So that's definitely the trend that we're noticing. Uh, and just touching on that with um, someone mentioned before, oh, Pablo, you said decent brands for speaker wire. Branding doesn't matter so much, just as long as it's pure copper. So OFC, copper. That's it. That's it's as simple as it gets. Just use copper, otherwise you're in for a world of hurt. Cheaper is not always better. Brendan's got gains on a sub with a multimeter. Look, you can do it with a multimeter. It's not advised though. Pablo is sad. No big doof doofs. <laughs> oh, they're still big doof doofs. They're still around. Yeah. Not as common anymore. I'll give it that, but it's coming. Yeah, good call, Brian. Cables. Stinger's definitely up there for that. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask your opinion, well, everyone's opinion, I guess. What does everyone think about going the tablet or phablet style head units? Are you on board? Do you like a more traditional flush mount? Where, where do you see it all going? Well, I'll go first on that one. I'm 50-50 for the tablet mounts. Some cars, they suit and they look really, really nice. 
other cars, it just literally looked like someone grabbed an iPad and just threw it at the dash and called it a day. Like, yeah, they got to suit the car. And also, it's all personal preference. So some people might want to get in and they want the biggest screen they can get. They don't care. It's just give me an 11 inch screen. I want it now. And that's fine. So yeah, but for me, I want it to look like it should have been there. So I usually prefer an in dash screen like a 200 mil. They look really, really nice. But Pioneer's screen is probably one of the most elegant looking, I'd call it that. But the Alpine ones, the new ones now, they are really, really nice. The resolution on that yeah. screen, phenomenal. Sony's new one looks pretty good too. I know complete stuff. Look, Alpine definitely started it in terms of the core aftermarket brands rather than those Android tablets because you can put yeah. anything you want on an Android tablet. But I really find that Pioneer really like define the the elegant luxury look of it. Yeah, Kenwood definitely took the took it to the max of its size, which was great. But I find definitely Alpine's just perfected it with its new range. It's really gone to that point where you can just wow, it's part of the dash, especially on a newer car. Yeah. Older car, you're gonna be challenged to how to even fit it in most points, and you know access your aircon and everything. That's one thing, guys. When you're thinking about going these big screens, look at where your aircon vents are. Look at how it's all going to be in your car while while you're actually, you know, using it. Is it going to suit your needs? That's right. And also because check I, if it's covering things. I do have a lot of customers that say they would prefer a flush mount because it just suits the dash. Yep. Yeah, some cars call for it or some customers call for it. It really just depends on the application. There's no right or wrong here. It's your car and it's your system, so no one can tell you otherwise, but we can help steer you in a different direction. Um, we lost Mitch. He'll be back. Uh, Passy, I hope I'm saying your name right. You've got dome mid-range speakers versus normal, so I'm guessing you're talking about a cone mid-range, pros, pros and cons. Um, it depends where you want to put them. So dome mid-ranges are a lot better off-axis than what they are on-axis. So if you're not a fan of big build-outs on your A-pillars, or you're not even going on the A-pillar, you want to go in factory locations up on the top of a dash, like in a Toyota Prado, Toyota A6, a lot of new cars now, especially Hyundai Kia, they're doing tweeters or mids up high on the dash. Um, domes are much better for that. They're really, really nice for off-axis response. I personally prefer a cone mid-range because nine times out of 10, I'm building a pillar and I'm gonna have them not on axis, but usually between my headrest, just coming forward a bit. So I'm firing off the edges of the window, just helps with early reflections and adding to width. But again, personal preference. And just give me one sec, I get Mitch back on him. Yeah, Brian just said his top selling units are the tablet units. Yeah, I bet it's everyone's loving them at the moment. It doesn't matter what brand they're from. And we've got to give a shout out to the Stinger Heighten units as well. They don't have a massive presence here in Australia, but their vehicle specific kits, especially for the Jeeps, look amazing. Like if any of you guys out there are running a Jeep Wrangler or anything like that, check out the Stinger Heighten units. They're still fully feature packed. You've got Android Auto, Apple CarPlay. They've even got an optical output on that one, which is not pretty much no head unit on the market running an optical out. So if you're really last week and we had to sell it for an older couple that really required inbuilt navigation. So there's a great option as well for it. Really easy to use. It's just nice and big and user friendly. 
Yeah, that's right. John's mentioned, hi guys, do you know of anyone in Australia that can repair big amps? I have a sundown that needs repair. Look, I had this come up on the last live, people asking for repairs. I don't know of anyone anymore. There used to be. So if anyone that's watching right now either knows or knows someone else that can do repairs, repairs, can you please message the page and let us know? Because whoever does it is going to get influxed with hundreds of amps. Because I know heaps of people that want stuff repaired, myself included. I've got quite a few things that need to be done. So definitely let us know. So sorry, John. I don't know of anyone right now. Mitch, do you know of anyone? Oh, that'll make him better speak some focal. No. Uh, no. As in uh, repair amplifiers. No, yeah. I can't say I do. No. Yeah, it sucks because you, you go to a normal electronics repair agent and as soon as you say it's 12 volt, they go, nah, not touching yeah. it. So all the other ones I can recommend are all home theater gear, all 240. Yeah, it's, it's just our society now, guys. Unfortunately, I'm going to sound old now, but it's just throwaway. It's cheaper for people just to buy the latest and greatest next thing than it is to repair the, the thing they've had for 10, 15 years. So unfortunately, but that's the way society has dictated we go. Pablo's asked thoughts on big mid bass under the seats. Um, up to you. So you will, you can, I won't say you will, you can get better mid bass from under the seat because you're putting it in a sealed enclosure or in BMW's application, it's infinite baffle. But that being said, you will localize it underneath your seat. So if you're going for a sound quality setup and you really want it to image and stage well, watch the levels underneath the seat because you, your body from the vibrations in your ears are going to pick up where it is and it's going to drag everything low and back. So your stage depth, pardon me, stage depth is going to suffer and also you're imaging a little bit depending on how high you're crossing them. Uh, going back to uh, Johnny's question about focal speakers, which are amazing, but you want to know if there's anything better. Look, there's absolutely a lot of different brands out there that are doing stuff that probably you know rivals focal, but it comes down to you what you want to hear, what you want to sound like. Like personally, I really think at the moment the Kenwood KFC XH series, also high res, sounds absolutely amazing on my board. And then I say put a pair of fifteen hundred dollar uh, higher end speakers, and they just don't sound the same. It it all comes down to personal preference. Yeah, that's right. It's really hard to say to someone brand X is better than brand Y because it's subjective. Everyone's ears are different. I might get into someone's car that's won 10 competitions and go, yeah, not for me. I don't like it. And someone might get into that car and go, that's amazing. That's the exact sound that I want, regardless of brand. And then you've got the tune on top of that too. So a lot of people will come in and say, I don't want focal. The tweeters are too bright. Now, by design, straight out of the box, yes, they do reproduce higher frequencies a little bit more, let's say, aggressive than other brands. But if you've got a DSP or any decent amount of EQ or you're running them semi-active so you can pull the tweeters down a bit, they sound amazing. And same can be said for a cheaper set of speakers. You can make a soft dome tweeter sound really horrible, just like you can make a metal dome or beryllium tweeter sound really soft and smooth. It's all, all in the comes tune. down to it. It all comes down to acoustic um, treatment as well, to your doors and where you're going to put it. it. That's the biggest difference, personally. That's right. Grant's got in a sound off. Is it fair that a big car goes against a small car? Um, it all depends. So they usually cap them with power 
and cone area. So they'll say if you've got 112, you can go up against someone with two tens or three eights because the cone area is similar and they'll cap it at power. So you've got 2K to play with and that's it. It's up to you to choose what car you want. If you've got a big four wheel drive and you're going against a little CRX, just physics, the CRX is gonna be louder. It's a smaller cabin, it pressurizes faster. Um, if it's a hatchback, it's nearly always going to be louder, especially going to be louder than a sedan, just because the boot is open to the, to the cabin and it acts like a big horn loaded enclosure. So is it fair? Well, that's a bit subjective. It's just how it goes. If you wanna be louder, get a little hatchback. That's why all the, the big crazy ones are using CRXs and small little hatches. Brennan, it all comes down to your budget, man. Like, are you talking, say, a hundred and fifty dollar pair of speakers? Are you talking five hundred dollar pair? It, it all, it all comes down to that. Yeah, that's right. Best speakers for loudness, while not jeopardizing the staging. Um, again, depends on how loud you want it to go. Some people think a little bit above conversation level is loud, and other people want to hear it down the block. Um, just with anything, if you're driving the hell out of it, it's not going to sound real good, whether it's a $50 set of speakers or $5,000 set of, say, Brack speakers. So the king here for if you want it louder, you're going to need the speaker to travel further or more cone area. So you're only going to get so much out of any three-way, whether that's like a Focal Flax three-way, Audison Voce three-way, Brax three-way. They're all going to be relatively the same amount of volume. If you want more than that, you need to add more, so uh, another mid-bass or another mid-range. Not so much the tweeter, because they only reproduce a very small frequency range, and so adding 10 tweeters up top is not gonna do much for you. Adding another mid-range will give you the biggest audible improvement, but adding another speaker in adds more phase issues, more reflection issues, so it's gonna be even harder to tune. And then you gotta watch for comb filtering as well, depending on where you put it. Uh, Tristan, I'll let you probably start with this one for running components, active versus passive. Yeah, sure. Johnny, what would you like to know in particular about that? Like the, the pros and cons of that or, or what's up? Good so I'll say personally, I'm, I run mine as a passive setup and <laughs> look, it does it for me, but it also really depends where you want to take it. But it, there's nothing, it's not, the end of the world if you run a passive. That's right. It's if you're chasing every last bit of your system, if you want to control every part of how it sounds, so like, oh, the tweet is a bit too loud and I want to turn them down and the adjustment on your crossover isn't letting you do that, then active is going to help you there. If you want your mid range to play a larger bandwidth, so just say the crossover that it came with dictated that it plays from 800 hertz to 4K. And where your mid-range is, you want it to play lower. You want it to play down to 400 because your mid-base is across there. If you're running active, you can control every speaker's level, every speaker's frequency range, and you can set it up to either a one-seat tune, so just for the driver, or a two-seat tune, so driver and passenger. You can't do that with a passive setup, but also you run the risk of easily destroying tweeters and mid-ranges when you're running active if you don't tune it correctly. Or let's say you have a flat battery and your DSP then decides to reset the default, takes the high pass off the tweeter, you get in the car and crank it like you normally would, bang, there goes your tweeter. So for protection, we always run a capacitor on the tweeter, use it usually half the resonant frequency of the tweeter. It just prevents that issue. 
But like Mitch said, it's not the be all and end all. You don't have to run active. Dan says, once you've had active, it's hard to go back. Yeah, it's the same with a three-way system. Once you've heard a yeah. really well set up three-way, you won't go back to a two-way. Yeah, it, it was a hard thing going back to a, back to a two-way, but three-way is pretty much, if you want every single aspect of, you know, the staging right, it's just, there's no compromise. Sean said, thanks. Thanks, you guys, for the info. Got to run. This phone's going to die. Is there any way of inboxing you? Yeah, mate, just message the page and I'll get to it as soon as I can. What is the ideal tuning order with REW and Helix DSP? One crossover, two RTA, three time limit, four phase. All right, so what you want to do is you want to work out what the speakers are doing in the cup. So make sure everything is in phase first. That's absolutely critical. And I mean mechanically in phase, not just on the DSP and the software is it in phase. Make sure positives to positive, negatives is to negative because you cannot tune that out. If you've got a mid out of phase, wide at the amplifier, no amount of tuning is going to fix that. So number one, phase. Make sure that's done. And then turn off your head unit. If you're running a head unit, make sure all that EQ is off, all bass boost is off, loudness is off, everything set to flat. Go into Roo. I usually turn on all speakers first. Make sure you've set appropriate high passes too. And then play pink noise. See mm. what the car is doing. Then isolate tweeters, pink noise again, then mids, then mid bass, and then your sub. And then left side as a whole, right side as a whole. I'll go into that a bit more in another, another video because there's a whole lot in that, but that'll get you started. And then you can see what each pair of speakers is doing. Well, the same principles apply for tuning without a DSP as well, minus the pink noise, I'd probably say, or the white noise. But essentially, you just got to, you know, isolate what you want to tune per time as you do it realistically. Yep. You just got to be careful with running RTAs and that as well, because if you're not 100% sure on how to read them, you can get caught because you might see like a huge peak or a huge dip somewhere and then you're trying to EQ the hell out of it. EQ won't fix speaker position problems. So a lot of cars, especially if it's got a center console and your door mid bases are playing over 200 hertz, which in a two-way, they definitely are. In a three-way, usually 250 to 300 you'll find that the center console, you'll get a standing wave, normally anywhere between 80 hertz, 70 to 80 hertz, you'll either get a big peak or dip. It's cancellation from that. You will not be able to EQ that out. So you'll either need to cross above that, sorry, lower than that, or change the speaker position. Chris, what's your go-to songs when tuning a system? Oh, I've got a whole playlist for this because each song might do something differently. So I might play one song that I know the low end on it is amazing, but the rest of the song's crap. Then I'll play another song that I know has a rock solid center image. So I'll use that for making sure the center's defined. Other tracks for top end and ambience. It's, yeah, I got a whole playlist for it. There's not one song that does yeah. it all. Look, if you want it to probably like a nice, just a starting point for tuning songs, um, Spotify actually has a great playlist. Um, uh, what was it called again? Uh, songs to test with headphones, headphones with amazing, amazing music coming out of it. And you actually do get the, you know, tune staging, bass, levels of noise and everything, everything above out of it. Probably the most common song I would go back to for tuning though, 
not many people have heard of him, but um, Five Star Cordio, Cordio in the States, they highly recommend it. Um, Smilk, uh, The Last Rainforest. Absolutely yeah. amazing track. Yeah, super dynamic. That, and if you want to get a little bit more classical, because not everyone loves, you know, all the techno, but um, probably you're going to say, uh, where is it? A, a Kiss in Blue by Yellow. Always, yeah, that's always a really classic. good song. That mid-bass mm. at the beginning hits really low, actually. That always surprises most people. Yeah, yeah. Johnny's got, I installed my system almost a year ago, but for some reason in certain songs, certain bass frequencies don't hit like the rest of them. And I've never had this issue. What can be the problem? It's a little bit hard to diagnose that, Johnny. Um, it could be as simple as your crossover. So just say you've got your low pass on your sub set at 60 and the songs that are disappearing, their bass notes have a lot of energy in the 70 to 80 hertz range. So you're not hearing it because you've actually cut off the sub or you're starting to cut the sub off before that note hits. Low note hits nice, but it's a, on tiny bit high frequency. <laughs> it's like a cold Just check, your low check where that's cut off. Well, Tristan, what do you think's a weak point out of your system currently? The weak point for me? I'm mm. an epic bass head, so one shallow 10 is not enough. So that's my weak point, is I want more output. Um, but other than that, it's pretty good. But it's only been up and running for like a couple of days and the car was off the road, so I haven't heard yeah. it completely. Peter's got, what slope would you put on a 12-inch sealed subwoofer to try and blend it as best as possible? Um, without getting too complicated on you, I start with everything. If you can change the crossover, um, how it operates, so you've got Linkwitz Riley, you've got Butterworth, things like that. If you can set yours to Linkwitz Riley and set them all at 24 dB, it means there's no peak or dip at the crossover point and there's no phase change as well. So you're not messing with anything. Um, but you want your system to be acoustically in phase and you're not going to know that unless you've got an RTA. So if you don't have that, just start with 24 on high pass and low pass, Linkwitz Riley, if you can. Yeah. And, on and for that people well, who don't have an RTA, most shops, you know, most audio shops, they do have that equipment, hopefully. Obviously you can book it out to get a proper tune at any sort of cardio shop that is willing to just tune. Yeah, that's right. And make sure if you are setting crossovers on your head unit, don't set them on the amplifier as well. Because if you stack crossovers, then you get all sorts of phase issues. So let's just say your amplifier has a built-in 12 dB per update slope and you've set your low pass to 80 on your sub. And then on your head unit, you've set it to 80 hertz low, uh, sorry, 80 hertz high pass, 80 hertz low pass at 24. <laughs> now you've got 36 dB. because you've got 24 on the head unit and 12 dB on the amplifier. So now that sub's 90 dB out of phase at that crossover point. Then you've got more and more issues. That's just going to compound. So use mm, one, or one or the other. not both. Uh, Dan's got to explain my system. All right. So at the moment, I'm running a Kenwood DMX 8520 head units, Moscone AS104 on my tweeters and mids. My tweeters are Scanspeak D2004s. My mid-ranges are Brax ML3s. I've got a Moscone AS202 on my mid-bass, which are old Hertz HV165XLs. And then I've got a DLS Ultimate A6 monoblock on my Audison 10. 
And it does quite... sweet spot for Moscone at the moment, don't you? Yeah, I'm a, I've got a sucker for white amplifiers. So prior to that, I had those PPI A404 white amplifiers. I still got those, didn't get rid of them. Mm. What's Johnny got? Every shop I called in Brisbane to tune my system, didn't really want to touch it because they didn't install it. Crazy, do you guys have a recommendation? Uh, message the store when we're finished on here, Johnny, and I can recommend a few places depending on your location, whether you're north or south side. And at the moment, guys, like, I know everyone says that cold is kind of dying, but it's at an all-time boom in Queensland as far as bookings go. Like, we're booked up in my, in my store at Autobahn uh, till the 17th of September, and people just want to walk after hearing that most of the time. So if you're willing to wait, we can always do the work, but you you got to be willing to wait. That's right. And we're hearing the same thing from most stores. Like, I know Brian at Sound Garage, if you're still on, He's quite busy all the time. Craig over at Complete Car Sound, they're usually a month out. I'm over at T-Base, we're a month out. Mitch at Autobahn's a month out. So the going rate at the moment, guys, to get any work done on your cars is anywhere between sort of three to six weeks, depending on what yeah. you want to get done. So all these people that are saying that the industry is dead, people have been saying car audio has been dead forever. When I first started doing this nearly 14 years ago, they said, why are you getting into this? It's dead, it's dead, it's not. It just evolves. And if you don't evolve with it, then of course it's going to suck and your shop's not going to be busy. So just ring around guys, but you will be waiting. Yeah, damn. Wow. Two months. That's insane. Damn. That's a solid booking. Yeah, that, that really is. Jeez, time's flying I guess another thing to always play on to about is when you are going in with your vehicle to be installed, Make sure it's ready for someone to actually go into. Like, would you put yourself in their shoes? Would you want to go in if your car is an absolute mess? Make sure it's clean and it'll get done a lot quicker and the install will be a lot happier doing it. So therefore you might get a better result. Yeah, that's right. Like if you're asking to get either a reversing camera installed or we've got to run cabling into the rear of the vehicle, adding a subwoofer or an amplifier in the back of the car, please don't turn up with half your luggage ready to go on a trip around Australia in the car. <laughs> Makes it a bit hard. What do we got there? Dan's got, what questions do you lads ask to decide on what level of system to design and quote on? Mitch, you want to go on that one first? So... To decide on SQ or pavement pounder. <laughs> pavement pounder. It really, it's your end goal. So say if we say you just want nothing but base head, for it, in terms of autobahn, we'll suggest you know a budget. We'll, we'll get to the, the the most important things first. What will actually fit in your car? What is your car capable of? And how much it costs to actually fit to that car specifically? Then we look at what options you want for actual gear itself. If you want either some high end SQ, high res, or if you just want some base to get you going, it really comes down to your budget. At 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 the end of the day. But the most, the biggest question is always, is always what music you listen to, how loud are you, how loud do you want it to be? What do you see yourself daily driving? And just to add on that as well, um, the people that are after subwoofers, you need to decide how much bass that you want and how much space you're willing to compromise. Now, if you want to be like earth shattering bass and you've had two 15s in a car before and you've just bought like a tiny little Toyota CHR and you want the same thing, but you want full boot space, it's not going to happen. So 
there's always a compromise in car audio with absolutely everything that we do. It's just the nature yeah. of the game. So like in my own personal car, I would love to have two massive 12s beating in the back, but I actually use the car all the time. So I need the boot space. So I had to compromise for a shallow sub in the corner that didn't take up any usable space. So just remember there are limitations to what we can do both in sound wise and in vehicle size. All right, Callum's joined us all the way down from AVDC in South Australia. If any of you guys and need some work done, definitely check Callum's store out. He's got some amazing work coming out of that store. Is there a general rule of thumb to know if your trunk is big enough for two LDE-15s without bending to the outside? Tristan, you want to take that one? Um, most trunks are going to be good enough for IB. The hard part for, about infinite baffle is actually making it infinite baffle and sealing up everything in that boot. It's harder said, it's easier said than done, sorry. Um, most of the time, you're getting a better result if you've got a spare tire and you can vent through the spare tire well using like an aperiodic membrane. That'll give you true IB but it can be done. Most full-size sedans, you can do it in. If you've got a hatchback, no, you can't do IB. Can any of you guys get 3.9 inch tweeters? That's massive. Um, like, do you want like an SPL tweeter that big or just like something with an OD of that big to fit somewhere in particular? That's like a bullet tweeter. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, what's that one? Rob's got looking for an audio control D6 1200 into a 2018 Santa Fe. Speaker upgrade will come later. I'll just read through this. It's probably a bit much to answer on the live, Rob. I'll go through that message with you. But if it's a Highlander, that's the top of the line. So more than likely, that one's definitely going to be amplified. For that, Tapping into that signal after the amp is going to give you all sorts of problems. So you'd want to go pre-amp and you're going to need a maestro piece for that. So I'll talk to you a bit more about that in a private message because that's a bit complicated, that one. Yeah, being a D61200, that's that's full DSP amplifier, isn't it? Yeah, the, the unit itself would be fine. It's just getting the signal into that one. So mm. I haven't done a Highlander, so I can't say whether we've got any crazy signal issues going on there. But ideally, you'd want to take it preamp and then send that to the audio control. You'll get a much better result. Is he going? All right. Dale's got advantages over one or two sealed tens. I have a Focal FP801 and one ten. So you've got tons of headroom. Um, if you can fit another ten in, you're going to get a theoretical three dB increase in SPL. That's it. If that's worth it for you, for the extra effort of putting a 10 in, like depending on where it's going, are you making a full fiberglass position for this or is it just another box? It's up to you. It will be louder, definitely. It's just, that, that's just personal preference, how much bass that you want. Sorry, Matt, did you say you got Alpine F1s? Are we talking current or, or the old school? Well, if you've got the old school ones, um, why do you want a tweeter that's so massive? Because the one that came with those are a 28 mil uh, ring radiator. The mid range was massive. It was a four and a half inch mid. Matt, did you say one of your tweeters are blown? Finding another F1 tweeter, especially older gen, is going to be quite hard. So the closest mm -hmm. thing you'll get to that is a ScanSpeak Illuminator ring radiator tweeter it's actually what they were based off 
Yeah, the old school ones were based off ScanSpeak, yeah. If you send me a message as well, I can link you to the ones that are very, very close to what the um, F1s were. What's your opinion on high-res head units in terms of cable versus wireless? Most just to support Apple CarPlay with cable, but more expensive head units do wireless streaming CarPlay. Do you mind if I take that one, Tristan? Yeah, man, go for it. So with when you say is cable better than wireless, it really comes down to do you want your, you've got to, sorry, you've got to take into account Wi-Fi is used for the wireless support, not Bluetooth. So Wi-Fi will consume a lot more battery from your phone. Like say, take from me, I use the DMHZ F9350BT and that constantly is through wireless CarPlay. Amazing for just, you know, getting in your car, away you go, you're done, but your battery is probably 20% depleted by a 15 minute journey. It really comes down to, you know, do you want to use cable or not? But in terms of sound quality, there is no difference that we can see currently because you're still using Spotify compressed audio. That's right. If you're streaming high res, you need to make sure that A, the unit's capable of it and you are playing high res. Um, with Bluetooth version five, I know CarPlay goes over Wi-Fi, but if you're streaming over Bluetooth, version five is completely lossless. So it will do high res, but anything under version five will not do high res. And then if it's over cable, I know a lot of Apple phones don't want to bypass the DAC. So just be careful with that. You're better off going an external player. No way. Matt said he bought my old Excel years ago. No way. That's, well, that's going back. I missed that thing. I had so much fun in that car. Some of the systems that went in that were absolutely shit because <laughs> it was so long ago, but that was a fun car, that one. Oh, the amplifiers you had that were mental, though. Hey? The amplifiers you had in that were mental. That had so many iterations. The P it ended with the PPIs, but before it was really cool because I had four PRS D800 two channels, three for mm. the front end, oh, sorry, five, three for the front end, and then one per scan, oh, not scan, peerless XXLS10. So I was, that thing was wild. So going back to before when we're talking about hatches are always louder than every other car, I had two 150 RMS 10-inch subs in the back in two cubic foot sealed, getting 250 RMS each, and I still did 141.7. That's wild. Yeah, it is. Hey, Tristan, a question that I've actually been given by one of my customers. Hmm. Essentially, how much do you spend on a system for it to last up to 20, 30 years? Or is it all comes down to how you use it? Both. So if you're buying $5 eBay gear, I highly doubt it's going to make the 10 to 20 years. But on the flip side, if you're spending 10 grand on a set of speakers and you're playing really crap music, full noise through cheap amps and you're clipping the shit out of it, then it's not going to last either. So it's right. a compromise between the most amount of money that you want to spend that you're comfortable with spending and selecting the best gear, both quality and feature set within that price range. So it's quite hard to say. One thing that's really hard to say as well, guys, like when you buy a head unit, look, just like any electronic device in your life, it has a expectancy of lifetime and, you know, things can fail. We've got to really take that into account that say when you come up, say, oh, you know, my head unit just stopped working after two years. 
it isn't anyone's fault. It's just the way of electronics these days. Yeah. We're a throwaway society, though, which is the worst part about it. Goes back to what I was saying with repairs before. It's the stuff now, like not not from anyone reputable, but most of the cheaper brands, they're making their equipment last a month or two past warranty, and then that's mm. it. If it makes it to there, they're happy. That they don't care. It's not designed to last. Um, but if you buy anything decent, there's no reason why you shouldn't get seven to ten years out of most reputable brand gear. Um, and if you look after it and you service them, so if you've got an amplifier that you've had for 20 years or more, you definitely want to service them. The capacitors in them, they can swell, they can leak, they can blow up and take your amplifier out. So if you have an amplifier you've been sitting on for a long time, I'd want to get it looked at if you can find someone. But I've, like I was saying, I've got my PPI amps that I've had now. They're 20, they're 30 years old. They were made in 1992. And they are still good, but I got them serviced. So fully recapped, all new thermal paste on the um, output transistors, everything. And that'll last another 15, 20 years, no problem. Yeah. Uh, what do we got here? Any charging system upgrades now that are better than the past? Lithium batteries, caps, and alternators? Yeah, tech's come a long way. Um, JS alternators over in the States, uh, they make anywhere from 250 to 350 amp alternators now that you can get delivered over here for under a grand. So alternator upgrades, that's amazing. Highly recommend it if you're running a really current heavy system. If it's just a daily with a monoblock, no. Um, lithiums are great because they can hold their voltage. That's their biggest benefit. So as you know, if you've got a massive system and you're doing a huge base drop, you watch your voltage go from say 14, 13, 12, hopefully not under 12, otherwise you've got problems. But with lithium, they can maintain big current and hold a solid anywhere up to 15.5 volts, which for audio is amazing, especially on unregulated systems. Yeah, yeah. And no, Tony, you're right. Sony being three years is always amazing when you give that out. And also audio control being five years, it, it's the industry, in, it's the leading, um, you know, uh, what's called uh, brands in the industry when it comes up to warranty and their support is amazing Australia guys Just is there come. a difference in sound quality imported and sealed subs Tristan? yes no so that's another subjective term so like for like if you've got the same sub same car same amp everything else a ported box is always going to be usually 30% larger than the sealed one so if you've got room you can go a ported enclosure, but you're going to get by design a peak. So a peak or a boost at the tuning frequency of the box. And you've got to watch because you can't play too much lower than the tuning frequency of the box. So if you've got a subwoofer that's tuned to say 40 Hertz in a box, which is pretty common, it's going to play most music really well. But if you're playing like chopped and screwed stuff or bass boosted really low end stuff, that's in the 20 to 30 Hertz range, that subwoofer in the box that's tuned for 40, isn't going to have the control it needs. It's going to be flopping around everywhere. It's not going to sound really good. But if you built that box for what you're doing with it, if you always play really low music, build the box to tune at like 25, 27 hertz, no problem. But the box will be massive. Sealed gives the flattest response over the frequency range, but you won't get massive low end output. So it just depends. And it depends on the woofer as well. Not every sub can be in a sealed box. And not every sub can go in a ported box. You have to design the enclosure to suit the sub. This is really, really critical. I've shown this many times. 
if you you can get a hundred dollar crap sub and design a box that's perfectly suited for it and it will outperform a 700 dollars sub slammed in a little half cubic foot sealed box any day of the week so it's not so much sealed is better or ported is better or yeah. band passes it's the enclosure is dictated by the sub not the other way around i'll give an example of that when I was really early into car audio, Tristan actually, I had some DB Drive WDX 3Ks and I had two of them in a, yeah. it was in an Air Pro just prefab box. Thought, yeah, you know, this sounds awesome. It was in a Lancer, it was great. And then Tristan did the biggest thing ever for it and built a custom box designed for it and everything sealed. And we only, we, his big, biggest surprise was I got rid of one sub and you only got one sub in there now and it kicks so much harder than what it ever had. And I just couldn't believe the difference just from the actual, you know, the atmosphere of it. Huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, I remember mm. that because I'm, like, I'm pulling one out and you're like, no, we got to run too. Just <laughs> yeah. One sub in yeah. the right box is always better than two in a shit box. Yeah, Every you're pretty right. Marion's got here. I've got an Audison AP10S in a small sealed box in the boot, but it's not getting low enough. 50 to 45 hertz max. That must be a really small box because that sub will play lower than that, even in a 10 liter box, which is tiny. I've got that same woofer, the dual voice coil version, so a little bit better for thermal power handling. I've got that in 19 liters and it hits plenty low, like right down into the low 30s, high 20s, no problem. The mid base in the door is an Audison AP8. That's okay. DLS mids, micro precision. Whoa, there's some serious tweets. Mm -hmm. Do you have a recommendation for a 10 or 12 subwoofer that gets low? One cubic foot. Yeah, well, you've got 28 liters. Um, if you've got, actually, okay. So if you've got that Audison 10 inch in 28 liters, the box is too big. So it won't play low because you're just maxing out its excursion too quick. It hasn't got the pressure behind the cone, box is too big. Anything more than 21 liters for an APS-10, that's it. So if you're stuck with that box, you wanna fill that box and get its internal volume under 20 liters, it'll sound so much better. Otherwise, um, there's no reason for you to be running a shallow sub in a one cubic foot box anyway. So you might as well go a full size woofer. Um, in one cube, off the top of my head, an Image Dynamics IDQ, 12, not the max, the IDQ will work really good in one cubic foot, but you're gonna need at least 750 RMS to it because that's what they're rated at. Mm. There's heaps of other stuff, not the only one, that's just straight off the top of my head. You always see that, guys, in Australia, we still use cubic feet for all of our measurements for most car audio subwoofers because it's just the industry standard. So we just had to adapt. Yeah. So one cubic foot is about 27, 28 liters for all of you at home. Lee's got, have you ever used Infinity Perfect speakers? What are your thoughts? Again, subjective, great speakers. Now, everyone always says the speaker X better than speaker Y. If the speaker sounds good to you, then that's the right speaker. That's it. Mm. So I get people come in all the time saying, I've got this brand speaker and I want to change it to this because it's better. Or should I change it out? Just they get excited. They just want to throw money at it, throw money at it, put more gear into it. If it sounds good to you, if it's loud enough for you, don't change it. It's mm. you're just throwing money at it for no reason. Look at spending money in different areas. So if you've got nice speakers that you're happy with, the subs happy, work on the environment. So if you haven't sounded in the car yet, 
do that. That should be step one. If you get a car, if it doesn't have any acoustic treatment, then you're missing out. Even if you've got a hundred grand of gear in your car, you're missing out. The car beside you that's fully acoustically treated and that has a thousand dollar system is going to kick the hell out of the hundred grand system to a point that has no sound ending. And it's not just chuck some sound ending on the door. It's doors, roof, floor, plastic panels. That's a whole nother topic. Mm -hmm. But now these days you've got also speakers that aren't just inside the cab. You've got outdoor marine speakers, power bars, kicker. They just released their new power bars. Amazing sound output out of those things. Yeah, those things are how small they are. I, I was shocked when I actually first played with one. But the thing is, it's all about placement. Like, say, the biggest question I get is, why is it that I heard these speakers on your soundboard, and now when I play them in my car, they just shit. They don't, they don't hit right or anything. It all comes down to, like you just said, Tristan, the sound treatment, the acoustics, where it's all going. It's always yeah, going to matter because you're hearing a speaker and a soundboard right in front of your face. Imagine you try and put a pair of just coax heels down in your legs. Your legs going to be covering that half the time. You mm, compromise. And it's behind the door card. You're off access to it. It's mm. a whole lot. Tony's got, is there any difference in sound if you're using 19mm ply versus 19mm MDF for a custom ported box? Uh, not that you're going to hear. As long as it's sealed, you're fine. So make sure it's not leaky. That'll kill all your sound quality. If the vehicle allows, is it best to install the front stage on access as a starting point? Yes and no. I'm not a fan of on access builds. One, because the build out is really massive. And for me, aesthetically, I don't like the look of it. Um, but it can, not always, it can be easier to tune. Grant says, where's your shops? I'm located at T-Base which is in Bald Hills, Queensland, and Mitch is at Autobahn Caboolture in Queensland. PPI 900.4, that's, that's pushing on some serious power, 145 watts by four. Is that and that's the a, new ones? No, it's showing it's discontinued. I'm not familiar with that one. Here, let me bring it up. Because the new ones are not the same precision power that were from the 90s. They sold kept the name and the gear quality went through the floor. So the PPI of today is not the PPI of ages ago. That's another huge point we find is old school car audio better than new school. It all depends on what you're spending your money on, but some things were made better back in the day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's right. Like I wouldn't go a nineties processor over today's processor. That's for sure. But there's some really, really nice old amplifiers out there that were built to just really, really high standards. And the quality of gear, even by today's standards, still holds up. Like Stinger's got some uh, crazy amplifiers out there from Phoenix Gold. Um, the one was pretty wicked. They only made 100 of those. Yeah. 24 karat gold PCB. Nuts. Even the old school Pioneer PRS gear, it, it really works to this day. Like I've got amplifiers and in the cupboard that still work perfectly in their PRS, but you still can't get that sound output out of say maybe a newer pioneer system because they don't offer anything in that range. Yeah, that's right. Man, time's flying. It's already 9.35. We'll have to wrap it up soon, guys. Yeah, well. Are there any trustable shops that repair old school amps? <laughs> yeah, there we go again. Um, 
I don't know of anyone, sorry, Johnny. Not yet. We're still working on finding a repairer. Number 100 of 100 is in our office. Yeah, nice, Tony. I know yeah. Fat's got one as well. They're putting one in that, um, that Hulk, the VF GTS. Mm. They've done a few of those, actually. I think the one thing that I found for just selling off the shelf that just dropped my jaw was the kicker quad, the quadzilla. <laughs> that thing was insane. Yeah. Yeah, that thing rocked. And Tony, they're still available? Which one? The, the what's called the quad um, uh, kicker L7Rs. Yeah, as far as I knew, they still were. Dan's got to run a three-way PRS front stage. Yeah, nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, it is the Zen 9. Yeah, you're right. You are right, Tony. Damn, that thing's nice. All right, guys, if you've got any more questions, send them through. We'll, we'll wrap it up in a couple of minutes. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Tristan. It was actually really good. Yeah, no problem at all, man. Thanks for coming on. We'll get you on the next one as well, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, be good. I'll hopefully oh, yeah. have a better soundstage and use a better microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a good night. Yeah, quad boxes are still well, available. Thanks to everyone that tuned in as well. I saw a, a few familiar faces watching. Yeah, it's been quite a good audience. We've had a few people, even from all over the world. Come on, it's been really good. No worries, Josh. Thanks for watching. Thanks for joining in. Yeah, no, Dale. no problem at all. Thanks for all your support to Tony. For those playing at home, Tony is the rep for JL Audio Kicker. And who else we got there, Mitch? Uh, JL uh, Kicker, Stinger, Audis, uh, Audio Control, Eaton. <laughs> the list goes on. <laughs> yeah. And Tony, you've been doing this for a long time too, bud. You're no stranger to the scene. Mm. You got Brian, which is former Alpine, now running his own shop. Chris yeah. from Kenwoods. And Pablo runs a scene over in the WA area. Oh, lovely. And also we've got Craig from Old School Car Audio. He's over in WA as well. His workshop's come along really nice. You guys in WA are doing some amazing stuff. Those builds are just... Yeah, it's getting good. And Chris, our Kenwood rep. Shout out to Chris. One more last question. Uh, on that one, I'm going to say snake oil on that, Josh. As long as you've got any half-decent fuse, it's fine. Um, in terms of its effect on sound quality, I'd really love to see someone show me some objective data, not subjective data on that one. Yeah, 20 year vet, Tony. Nice work, man. Thanks for all your support over all the years too, from way back in Fusion to today with Custom Car Sound. Thanks, man. And thank you, Chris. You've been around a long time as well, man. Yeah, there's never an issue that we can't fix, mate. Oh, sorry, I've got to mention and Sony. There we go. You got Sony as well. <laughs> and Richard's been out for twenty years. Good to have you back, though, Richard. Scene's still alive and well, man. It's 
It's not the same as it used to be, but it's not dead. Definitely not. Yeah, it's always growing. Right. Yeah, nice work, Chris. Over a decade. <laughs> yeah, old habits die hard. Alrighty, guys, we'll see you on the next one. So as always, first Sunday of every month, I'll link the events in the next couple of days. Thanks for watching. Thanks for tuning in. It's been great. And thanks, Mitch, for coming on. It's been really good having you on as well. Yeah, no, thanks, guys. And take care. No worries. Have a good night, everyone.